I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. Howdy, folks. Having a good day today. Let me be the first to welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must know that I am not a doctor or a psychiatrist. If your son or daughter needs to be diagnosed with autism or think, or he thinks or she does think, please see a physician. I only do this based on my experiences. I also do not own the right to this music. Both were found on YouTube and were, was published on February 2014 and January two, 2017. I also have a website for you guys to check out. I'll drop the link below, but it's for my Autism Rocks and Rolls, and it tracks my journey, offers my podcasts and, cast and speaking services. It gives you a chance to check out some pretty cool podcasts that I was actually a guest on. So I will attach it, like I said, at the bottom and this episode. And be sure to check it out, people. It's a pretty good website. Also, I have a uh, shout-out I need to give. I have a shout-out that to the Rushmore Podcast because they actually made a song for me, which I'm going to use for something in the near future. And it's still in the works, but in time, I'll use it for a big project, and I will attach it to my website. So Rushmore Podcast, thank you, and thanks for that amazing song. All right, so now we got that through. Let's talk to our guest today. So today's guest... We got a big one. His name is Simon Majumdar. He is an author, travel, and food writer, and a well-known Food Network personality on shows such as Guys Grocery Games, Cutthroat Kitchen, Iron Chef, and Iron Chef America. Mr. Majumdar also supported the Center for Autism and Neurodevelopmental Disorders in Orange County in a Cutthroat Kitchen episode, and that's a good episode, so I highly recommend seeing it. But now let's talk to him, actually. So, Simon, how are you today, man? I'm well, mate. How are you? I'm all right. So my first question Good. is, what does having a nephew with autism mean to you? Well, it to be honest, it means that it's something that's in my kind of in my view. And a lot of people don't necessarily know what autism is. They hear the word and they don't understand how wide a spectrum it can cover. And so by having someone in our family who has autism, uh, it, it gave me a, a kind of a view of it and made me more curious to go and find out more about it. And through the family who have obviously been working with him through his life with autism since he was diagnosed anyway, it's helped me find out a lot more. I, I'm not an expert, just like you said, I'm not a doctor, but it makes me realize that there are a lot of you know, uh, people in, in our society who have autism at different levels and that there are lots of ways to support them and lots of ways to help them become very productive a lot of people you know are, are doing incredible things like you are with this podcast so it's just made me a lot more conscious of autism as a as a part of everyday life for a lot of people yeah yeah i got you i bet it does too i mean we all have our own struggles each autism has their own different struggles with one being social with one trying to understand a different part of it well some people you know obviously and i i remember going to a school once and spending time with my nephew and we saw the whole spectrum there and some young people had to be almost hidden away because anything that was bright lights or anything that overstimulated them caused a lot of distress and other young men and women were a lot more able to be social and to uh, react with me ask questions to help and so what you saw is everywhere in between and and i think uh, that's one of the battles for want of a better word when you talk about autism is to explain to people that there it doesn't mean one thing uh, that lots of people can have lots of different aspects of it and that uh that there are and also to make people aware that there are programs really good programs and facilities in education right through from being very young 
uh, right through to adulthood that people can benefit from. Gotcha. They are, there are many different benefits to autism as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, obviously uh, a lot of times you will see people being able to be exceptionally talented in certain areas. Um, and I, again, not being uh, uh, an expert on these things, I don't always understand how these things work. But, but the fact that you can, there are some people who are re really talented, whether they're talented artistically or mathematically, and they can, uh, yeah, they have a huge amount to contribute. And I think that's the important thing. Yeah, definitely. We all have our own talents. So what were your initial thoughts when you learned that your nephew had autism? I don't think I had any kind of initial thoughts in, in, in any way. It's, you know, he's just a, a person in our family. So he's a, he's a relative and all of my relatives, whether it's uh, in the UK with my birth family, as it were, or it's my in-laws, they're all different. Everyone's different. And some people I, I like and some people I don't like because that's true of all families. So I didn't really have any specific thoughts about it other than, you know, uh, that he's just another part of our family who I love. How do you think an autistic brain, based on your experience with your nephew, like operates? I, I wouldn't be able to really comment on that. All I can commentate, uh, comment on is interacting with people and, you know, and having great conversations with him and talking and, and just seeing how he reacts to the world. So I wouldn't be able to comment on, on how that kind of, it operates just because I'm not informed enough. Ah. So I think it's a little dangerous sometimes as a, an amateur, which I am to try and offer those kind of comments. All you can do is talk about, and I don't want to talk about him personally because, you know, obviously he's private with his own, you know, so he has his own privacy. Um, but I think it's what you just talk about are the people you meet. And I've met a number of people over the years who are autistic and they have very different scopes. So all I think about, I don't think about it as a block. I try and think about them as individual people, which they are, and how I react to them as I would to any other person. Gotcha. That, that makes a lot of sense, Simon. So now what is the most rewarding and most difficult thing about someone having autism that you've seen based on your experiences? I think sometimes for um, for people who aren't aware of autism, sometimes that it can be obviously frustrating because thought processes are different and reacting it, reactions can be difficult or different. But also when you see the abilities of people who have autism and you see the things that they can achieve, um, then, and I've seen that obviously through the nonprofit that I did some work with, then that's the most rewarding. You see that, you know, like many people, that people have limitations in life that are caused by things outside their control. And some have it through uh, physical disability. Some have it through, you know, uh, other, other reasons. Um, but when you go and see what they can actually achieve, you know, then I think that's the most rewarding. When you go and see, uh, I remember one event that was, I think, based around uh, tango. And they were teaching people using dance and tango and teaching people and then artistic and, you know, using arts and music to, uh, to help people communicate that you see people are really extraordinary. So I think that's the kind of the rewards are despite what some people might consider uh, a disability, for want of a better word, that you see people who are actually you know, contributing a massive amount. And I think that's the kind of key conversation is not to, to almost stop thinking about it 
as a disability to, to think about it as people contributing differently. What advice would you give to someone who just learned they had autism? Well, I, th I mean, I, again, it's very difficult for me to offer that kind of advice just because I'm not an expert. Yeah. And I'm so, just uh, because I, you know, I only know about this through family contact. So I think the key is, is to get good advice uh, from you know, medical advice and anyone else who has, and there are lots of organizations now who work towards this and then to find out the programs and to find out programs that can be tailored to match the situation that you are in uh, and they and people now will look at that very kind of uh, seriously and look at how they tailor a program some people might find uh, a, a struggle a little bit more because they might find they have social uh, difficulties um, but to find those programs and I think that's the same whether it's for families or individuals you know is to seek out the the experts and I'm certainly not one of those so again I wouldn't comment on that from a you know, medical or a, uh, point of view, but just to go and find out the people, you know, it's like anything, to be honest, it's not just that. If you're in any situation, go and find out someone who's, you know, really good at what they do and, and ask for advice. And I think that's true in all situations, not just this one. Or ask me for advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people who uh, are working in that area, people who are doing, you know, I'm sure there'll be people who listen to your podcast who want to go out and do their own podcast based on it. And what they should do is talk to you because a lot of the issues that they'll face setting it up, whether it's issues of sound or uh, getting it known or other issues that you will have been through them. So I think it's just really important to just for you to share your experience and for other people to come along and ask you for your experience. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely helpful. I say I like to help people at least. Well, I think it's important if you, if you do anything, you know, in the same way, one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is because I hopefully it'll some people will listen to it and they'll learn something about the things that I do, whether it's food TV or writing or anything else. So just go and find people who are good at what they do hope, and, and ask them. Most people will be very responsive, you know, as long as you're polite and you ask respectfully and you're, you know, uh, most people will respond and try and help you. And I, they have me, with me in the past on TV shows or writing. If I've reached out to people, they're usually pretty good. Definitely. Yeah, man. Now, the reason why I found you is because of, of a show called Cutthroat Kitchen. <laughs> and I would Yes, indeed. If, I, if, you, if you guys want to see that show, I'll post a link to, for maybe you guys to get the show or like an Amazon Prime ordeal. Maybe I'll post that down below. But Anyway, my question is, why did you become a judge on Cutthroat Kitchen? <laughs> well, I've been doing a lot of judging for the Food Network before that. So I'd been on a lot of other shows. Uh, gosh, I'd been on Beat Bobby Flay and uh, Iron Chef America and Next Iron Chef and a few other shows. So this was back in 2013. I was approached by the producers uh, to be a judge on Cutthroat Kitchen. And one of my good friends, Alton Brand, was uh, going to be the host. So, of course, I said yes, because, you know, he's one of the best. He's, uh, he's a really good guy. And it, it, I was lucky that that show then turned out to be one of the biggest hits on the Food Network. And I got to do a lot of episodes over the next, oh, gosh, six years. So uh, maybe five years. But anyway, a lot of time. And so the crew became a, a good family. 
you know, to me. They're really good friends and I'm still close to a lot of them. A lot of them now work on other shows that I do. So I, you know, I love that. Uh, so I can go on to set of Guy's Grocery Games. And a lot of the people who are either camera people or culinary people or audio people are people I've worked with before. The makeup people, uh, makeup people that I've worked with before. So it's been, a, that's, it was a real pleasure. So, I mean, I guess the bottom line is I did it because they asked me and I thought it'd be a really good show and it turned out to be a fantastic show. It was a fantastic show. We still watch it every night almost. <laughs> uh, good. Excellent. We're in what they call a hiatus right now, but I'm hoping they'll bring it back. And uh, I get asked about it almost every day. People love watching that show. Oh, it's addicting. It's addicting after like the two episodes. <laughs> can you describe Alton Brown like just as a friend, like based, based on your friendship with him? Can you describe him a little bit? Yeah. And again, I'm always conscious that I like to respect the privacy of people. So, uh, but in terms of what he's like on television, he's probably the most smart person I've ever met in TV. Alton is uh, incredibly kind of intellectually driven, very always curious, always reading, always questioning. Um, he's got a great sense of humor, a little mischievous as you've seen when you're watching the shows. Um, and we, we have a lot of conversations while we're filming shows about um, you know, food history or uh, you, you don't get to see all the things in between the actual things where we have the cameras on us and we're just chatting. So from that point of view, and this actually goes back to what I said earlier, if I'm watching him, he's so good on television and that's a very different thing. So there are some people in life who are very energetic, have great personality, but when the camera switches on, they just go flat. They don't look great on television. They're just not you know, good on television. Even, however brilliant they are and there are other people who are just fantastic on television you know and Alton is one of those he kind of lights up when when the camera is on a group of people and Alton Brown is there then you're probably going to just be watching him and so it's always great fun for me just to watch him perform for want of a better word because I learn so much from him and even though I've been doing this for 10 years I still think of him as like the professor of doing food television <laughs> I can hear that. He does seem like it based on what I've seen on Cutthroat Kitchen. Now, what's Antonio and Jet Jet Tila like out of curiosity? <laughs> they're by they're good pals. So um they're the we were the first three judges. They added Richard Blaze later, and he's terrific as well. But uh, Antonio is really, I mean, very um uh, amazing palate, great judge, terrific judge. Though so, where what people forget is of course we do different days we film one episode a day or we did and so we never used to see each other very much because i'd be in one day and the next day was antonia and then the next day was jet and then i'd be back and so it wasn't so easy uh, to, to see each other nowadays we might see each other more often in fact because we judge together on guys grocery games and there there are three judges and we've actually had i think an episode where it was me antonia and jet um jet i've known for a long time and i think he's you know really brilliant each one has a very different perspective when they look at the food jet and antonia look at it very much as chefs and although i cook for a living as well i'm not i don't call myself a chef like them because i don't run a restaurant so but i look at it much more from traveling around the world 
I've probably traveled a lot more than they have, so I have a different perspective. Uh, but they're just, you know, they're good people. They've got, uh, Antonio has fantastic restaurants. Jet has run great restaurants. They both do a lot for nonprofits. You know, they're just, they're just good people. But here's the thing. When we did the episode where I competed, and that's when I competed for the autism nonprofit, they're very competitive. They want to, they both want to win really badly. And I could tell. I that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't care. I don't have a competitive bone in my body. So they were running around desperate to win. And I'm, I mean, I wanted to win for the nonprofit. I wanted to win for the nonprofit, but I personally, I don't care. <laughs> I didn't care about it. Uh, I wanted to get some money for, which we did. We got some money, even though I went out pretty early. But they're very competitive and I'm not competitive at all. So that's the big difference between us. Is that we got eliminated first? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, I, I do. Well, also, because I just got back from when we filmed that, I got back from New York and I was exhausted. And I just, I think it was the only the second time I'd ever competed on a show. I don't compete very often because I'm too old to be running around like that. <laughs> let the, I let the young people do it. I'm too old, but um, I, I did a very bad job on that particular one. But then the next time I competed, you know, there was a second one. I actually got through to the, to the finale. So I didn't win, but I got through to the final. So I kind of redeemed myself a bit. Good, 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 good. You sounds like you did. So now you're a judge on Cutthroat Kitchen mainly, but what is the average day from a judge's per perspective on Cutthroat Kitchen? Well, it's a lot of what they call in television, hurry up and wait. So you arrive, the chefs, the chefs who are competing will get there very early. It's all filmed over one day. But the chefs will get there early, uh, read the rules, they'll sign the rules to prove that they're going to follow them. You know, so it's all done very seriously. They'll, uh, then I, I will come in once, just before they, the, they start cooking, and then I'm locked away in my trailer, my soundproof chamber, my trailer, where, which is all very comfortable. I have my, you know, my snacks and my kettle to make my cup of tea, and, 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 uh, and I just sit in there, and I have Wi-Fi, so I do all my emails and look after, you know, do a day's work while I'm in there. I have my computer. And then, I, and then I'll go to makeup. Um, usually... If I'm, if it's an average episode, I say average, if it's a regular episode, rather, I will just have a range of clothes, a, sh a plaid shirt, a jacket, whatever. But sometimes it could be an episode where I have to dress up. You know, if it's a themed episode, we did one that was like science fiction. So I was dressed as someone from Star Trek. We did another one where I was in a knight's uniform. We did all kinds of crazy stuff. So then I'll go to wardrobe and makeup and then audio so they'll come and put my earphone or my earbud in uh then i'll go they'll walk me to set and that's just as they finish the first round so i'm not allowed anywhere near the stage until they've finished the first round uh and then i can i walk down the steps and that's the first time i get to see who the chefs are it's the first time i get to see the dishes i have no idea what challenges all literally all i get to say and i say it at the beginning i just care what's on the plate and i taste it and alton just goes to, this is chef x and he's cooked and they tell me what they've cooked or she's what she's cooked and i judge it and sometimes and then i go and then i'm hidden away again while they do the second cook and the third cook and that's it 
and it's it's you you have to take it very seriously because at the end of it you know someone could walk away with well one person won $25,000 they didn't bid anything and they left with $25,000 so it's a long day uh, but it's it's really fun I love doing it but they they can be quite long days so you can sometimes if for whatever reason if the if the tasks have been if the challenges have been really tough and they have to clear props and you can get out of there pretty late but most of the time they're really you know the crews are really good so it can be a long day but it's a really fun day i bet you it is a fun day well you want to talk about the clown that was a good one <laughs> yeah that was uh i didn't enjoy being in the clown outfit all day because it was very hot outside it was like 100 degrees outside and i'm walking oh. around and once they put the it was a big wig and that wig is stuck on to keep it on. So I had to wear, I literally walked around the entire day dressed as a clown. There was no kind of getting in and out of the outfit. So I sat there. I sat there at lunch. I sat there, you know, all day in that clown outfit. Well, I'll tell you this, Simon. You, you were the most beautiful clown I've seen. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll take that as a compliment. It was, it was a compliment. <laughs> so when you saw the shows, were there any, um, interesting characters on cutthroat kitchen that you've ever met i think they're i mean they're one or two and here's the thing um that sometimes uh, i have to explain to people is i don't get to meet the chefs so because they don't want me to and although once or twice and not very often once or twice i'd come down the stairs and there'd be chefs there who i knew just because you know i'm in the food business and if i've been to their restaurant so i don't let that bother me because i don't mind telling them if their food's good or bad and and then obviously we did some uh, all-star issues where we had, you know, Alex Guanacelli and Jeffrey Zakarian and we had some of the very big names. So those are obviously great characters because I remember coming down and judging some of the you know, famous people from the Food Network. And that was great fun. Um, but the um, but in terms of the chefs who come through on the regular episodes, I don't really get to know them too much. I don't get to see their characters very much. So they're just really telling me about their food. So they're not allowed to kind of show too much character then. They're just telling me what they've cooked. So yeah. A lot of times I'll have chefs come up to me and go, oh, you judged me on this episode. And a lot of times, and I'm not being rude, I just don't remember them because, you know, say I did 60 episodes, I'm guessing it was probably more. And there are four chefs yeah, that's 240 chefs. That's a lot of chefs who I get to see. So often I don't remember them. And it's not, like I said, it's not being rude. I just don't remember. Yeah, you no one can remember more than 240 chefs. I can't remember that if I was you. <laughs> I don't feel too bad. Yeah, so it's, it can be tough. And it, again, like I said, it's not, it, it's not being mean. But often for the chefs, it might be the first time they're on television. So they're going to remember it. Yeah, definitely. I bet they would remember it. So now there are also sabotages on the show, obviously, as a part of Cutthroat Kitchen. So did Alton tell you about any of the sabotages after the show was over or? Yeah, yeah we did. And if you go on YouTube, you'll actually see uh, what was called, I think it was called. Oh, yeah, it was the after show. Uh, I remember that. After show. Yeah. So afterwards, Alton would bring me out or the other judges and he would go through all the challenges. and. He would also get me to try some of the challenges. 
So that could be quite fun. If you go online, you'll see me trying cooking while bouncing on a trampoline or whatever, whatever the crazy challenge. And they got more crazy because they, they had a whole team who would come up with these crazy challenges. And um, after the show, then they'd bring me out. And that was the last thing. And that was always really fun because I had no idea. And then, uh, you know, he would ask me to guess who had got each of the sabotages. And sometimes it was obvious and sometimes it wasn't at all. Ah, I got you. Now, out of curiosity, when you saw the sabotages, were there, were there any sabotages you were just like, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they went through that. Or like you were just like, like OMG sabotages, I guess. Oh, all the time. There were ones where people were blindfolded. There were ones where they had to cook on, you know, tiny little... There was my favorite one of all was like a tiny little uh, kid's oven, like a little toy oven. And they had to sit down and on a, maybe on a saucepan and cook on this tiny little oven. Uh, That was probably my favorite one. Um, The mini kitchen was probably my favorite. And, you know, Jeffrey Zakarian, the Iron Chef once cooked on that and actually turned out like this fantastic meal because he's an Iron Chef. Uh, And so that was one of my favorites. But I mean, some of them were really just, you know, bonkers. I mean, they, they did one where it was almost like the inside of a, an aircraft and they, have them, they had them rocking back and forwards while they were cooking. They had somewhere they were on a seesaw and they were going up and down. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff. Um, but it was fun to try. It was definitely fun to try afterwards. I bet it was fun to try afterwards. You got the whole experience to yourself then. <laughs> so... <laughs> What do you miss about Cutthroat Kitchen? Because unfortunately, as we all know, the show got canceled. But is there anything that you miss about it? Well, I primarily I miss the I miss what I call my family. You know, we did two hundred episodes, or probably more, and so there was very little turnover of crew. So we had uh, pretty much the whole color, same culinary department, same camera people, same sound people, same makeup people. You know, same producers. Obviously, Alton was there the whole time. So you got to know each other very, very well. And so it's like what I, the way I would explain it, it's almost like when you leave high school and you have all your friends and then suddenly you go off to different schools or different colleges or you go off to different jobs and you don't really, they're your friends, but you don't get to see them as often. And so I think that's what I miss most of all, I mean, it was a great gig in terms of a job. It was wonderful. Uh, and I got, you know, people got to know me like you through watching that. But most of all, I miss the people because the people on, and it's true on all of them. It's same on Guy's Grocery Games. The thing that's most enjoyable about that is the crew, is the people. They're just the best, you know, they're the best. And a lot of really, they work so hard. I mean, these, you know, I'm on camera, so I get, yeah, I come in a little later and I get treated in my nice cabin and all of my nice trailer and all of that. But a lot of these people are coming in really early in the morning. They work super hard. I mean, so hard. And then, you know, they, they're there late at night taking everything down again. So um, I have so much respect for the crews who work in television because they do, they do all the hard work. And then I come and appear on camera and get some of the credit but those are the people who do all the real work. Yeah, I bet they do all the real work. We'll give a shout out to them because I bet they work their butts off according to you. Well, also, you know, some of them got known on 
camera too. So you might, if you've watched a lot of Cutthroat Kitchen, you might hear Alton refer to the bobs. Oh yeah, the, the bobs. Bob, I remember that. The people, the men and women who, so that stood for the bring out boys. So they were the guys and some women who brought out all the props. So they, they were in the, on the script, I think it was B-O-B, bring out boys. And so they, they, they got christened the bobs. And that's why they got referred to as the Bobs. And they became their own character on the show, the Bobs. And they were always silent. And Alta was always talking about kind of torturing the Bobs. And people kind of followed their, had their favorite Bob that they watched. Um, and so they, they, they loved doing that. Um, but that show was one of the kind of happiest shows backstage of any I've been on. And I think that's important. So... If any of them are listening to this, thank you very much because they made it a very... I always used to love going on set and hanging around. I always used to just love going on to... And I, same same with Guy's Grocery Games now. I love just being up there. I love being on set and just chatting with them when I get time. I bet. They seem like good people. Now, my other question... Now, I also want to talk about um, honesty versus blunt because when you judge, what I admire and I work on these days is um, we um, autistic people struggle with being blunt and being honest because we were told like to tell the truth. And then there are times as we were told like, well, not the best time to tell the truth, but we are working on, we just can't manage the time. But my question is, how do you manage being honest and blunt? I think you should, one should always try and tell the truth, but there are ways of managing how you tell the truth. Uh, and it, a lot of times it depends about who you're talking to as well. So here's the thing. If I'm talking to a very famous chef, say I was doing Iron Chef America and I'm talking to Michael Steinman or Alex Guarnicelli or uh, Bob, Bobby Flay, I'm going to be more blunt with them because, quite frankly, they've heard everything. They've all got, like me, they've all got decent enough egos. They can take it. And I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them exactly what I think of their food. So I, I got known initially as being quite tough on everyone, uh, and I am even. But if I'm going on to Guy's Grocery Games or if I'm going on to Cutthroat Kitchen, A, the, these are chefs who it's their first time on TV often, not always, but sometimes, or they're not regulars on TV. They're just hardworking chefs going in restaurants and you know doing their thing. And so if I come in and I'm just mean to them for the sake of it, then that, it's just not fair. At the same time, I'm going to tell them what I think. So I try and tell them what's good about their dish. Uh, and I try and tell them what's not good, but how they could improve it. I might be more tough with some of the more well-known ones, but I'm never, I never try and be mean to anyone. So and maybe a lot of that is, I think, I, you know, with my English accent, maybe I sound more polite anyway. Maybe the accent helps, but I will tell people my honest opinion and and it's the same if i go into a restaurant as i do you know well not so much now because we're all in lockdown but i would often have chefs come up to me if i have a meal afterwards they want to chat to me because they know me from television or whatever and they go how was the food and i always go do you want me to be honest or do you want me to be polite because if they want me just to be polite i go it was great and then i leave but if they want me to be honest, I go, okay, well, I like this. I didn't like this, but I thought this worked really well. This didn't work. I thought we had some problems with your service here because of the whatever the, the issues are. Yeah. And, and so I think the key 
is to be honest, but there are lots of ways of being honest without being mean. Yeah, definitely. You just got to find the manage way, the polite way, not the wrong way, I guess. Yeah. Kind of answer, sorry, but how can, what strategies can autistic people use for honesty versus blindness or know when to tell the truth and not know when to tell the truth? Well, I think the key is to know, we always say in, in TV, know your audience. Or if I'm doing a speaking group, kind of know your audience. So if you have, and I'm sure you will know this with, with teachers, there are some teachers you can be a little more kind of cheeky with, not rude, but you know, you can have a, a joke or you can, and there are some teachers who are just super serious and you get to know that by experience. So what yeah, you need to do much. that, eh, and I, I think what you need to do is we always say it, you need to read the room. You know, if I go in front of a, if I go in front of a group, say I do a speaking event or a demo where I'm co- a cooking demo, which I do a lot. And if I go in front of a group of, you know, say they're all church pastors and I'm, I'm not going to stand up there and tell kind of risky jokes, not that I would do risky jokes anyway, but I'm not going to stand up there and use certain words. But if I go in front of a group that's a sporting crowd, then I might be a little more, not again, not using bad language, but I might be a little more free to fool around and have some fun but, than the other audience. So I think it, in all of these things, it's just about learning from your experience. And, and also seeing how people react. I can sometimes see when I'm judging people on the show that I think I'm being kind, but I can see their eyes and they think they're being kind of, they think they're being crushed. So then I just ease up a bit because I'm not there to beat anybody up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got you. Are you kind of curious? What are you uh, picky on when you judge? Like, like you're just like, no, I don't like this because of this. And like when you eat something and you, have that thing like is it too much heat that bothers you and you're just like nope i don't like it automatically or what's what are you picky on i guess well no there's i actually have a uh, a kind of a set system so the first thing obviously is how it looks uh you know people use that uh about eating with your eyes but i want to see that the plate looks attractive because if a plate look comes out looking like you've driven over it with a car i don't i don't particularly want to eat it anyway so i want to see how the plate looks then I will smell it. And usually when you smell a plate, you can tell if they've overused an ingredient. Say they've used an ingredient like rosemary or curry or something. I can smell immediately whether they've used too much of that ingredient. Then what I'll do is I'll taste each of the individual ingredients. So say there are potatoes, say there's a steak, say there's a tomato, say there's an egg. I'll taste each of those separately to make sure that they've been cooked properly because they might have the potatoes might be perfect but they've overcooked the steak so I'll, and then finally I'll eat it all together a little bit of each to make sure that it works as a dish and so I can do that very quickly we when and again people don't often see this but when food is put in front of us we usually get about 30 seconds to eat and then they start asking us questions so I've actually developed a system where I can do it very quickly. I can talk about judging food with, you know, and that's, and that's my system. And then if there's something obvious, if someone uses too much salt or they use too much heat or too much acid with vinegar or too much of anything, I can tell that immediately. But what you're trying to do, so I, I never go, I don't like this because me not liking something doesn't mean that it's badly cooked. It just means I don't like it. And that's, 
meaningless. You just don't like the part of this in the food. Yeah, so my job as a judge is to try and explain to you watching at home why a dish that you you might think looks good isn't, or why a dish that doesn't look good might be terrific. And And I've been doing this for 10 years with hundreds of episodes of television, so now I, I know how to do it. So, now, I want, you had a background. You told me once you had an interesting story. Can you define your background and your childhood? Gosh, well, that's a long story. My childhood is in, in the UK, uh, so I grew up in the UK, uh, and I, I didn't move to the United States until I was uh, in my 40s. So I grew up in the north of England and then moved down to London, went to college in London. Um, I was going to actually train to be an Episcopalian minister or pastor, uh, but that didn't happen, obviously. And then I worked in publishing for a long time, uh, in book publishing, but food was always my passion. And then about 12 years ago, uh, maybe longer now, yeah, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, uh, I quit my job. And I went off to travel around the world and I ended up writing my first book on food. And on that journey, I met my wife and uh, now wife and moved to the United States. So uh, my my family background is interesting. My father was Indian. Uh, my mother was from Wales. So we were a mixed family, um, which was a challenge and also a real privilege because we got to experience lots of things. We always traveled a lot. And I've traveled all over the world now and still do. Uh, And that brought me to the U.S. And then about uh, six years ago or coming up to six years, I became an American citizen. So uh, thank you. It's fun. So, yeah, I'm an American citizen. uh, And I did that. I didn't have to do that. I had a residence visa uh but i wanted to be able to vote and to contribute and all of that and so i i became a citizen which i'm very proud of and now here i am i if you'd have told me 15 years ago that i'd be living in los angeles talking to you about this when i when i was doing something totally different i wouldn't have believed you but i'm having fun so that's a very truncated version of my family life but uh it's quite a mixture from coming from the north of england uh, to Los Angeles via very uh, elongated routes. Gotcha. Now, you since you said from your UK, how is England different and similar to America? Well, it's different in many ways. Um, you know, it's a much smaller country, but it's a country with a lot longer history than the United States. You know, in some ways, even though America is a much bigger and more prosperous country than Britain, uh, we still think of America as a kind of younger sibling because, you know, America's been around for 200 and something years. And I've got, I always, I always joke, but I've got pots and pans in England that are older than America, you know. So this is still a very young country in the United States. And in that sense, it's still finding its way, finding how things work. However successful America's been, it's still a very young country and defining itself. Whereas in England, most things that can happen to a country have happened in England. We've been, however many wars, uh, we've had the Romans there. I mean, London is probably close to 4,000 years old. So it's a very different way of looking at life. 
we take a much more long-term view. Whereas I think sometimes in the US, it's almost like a young child wanting everything immediately and everyone wants kind of instant response. And you don't have that in Europe. People take a lot longer viewpoint. Um, they enjoy I think a, what it sounds like. I think, yeah. And I think uh, one of the things though I love about the US particularly, I, there's a lot I love about being here, otherwise I, you know, I wouldn't be here. Um, is the ability for people to succeed, to do things that um, are outside of, you know, as long as you're good at something, you have the opportunity to succeed. You know, if you're in the UK, it's a small country, but with a big population, you know, 90 million people. And so if you do a job in England, that's your job. So when I was a book publisher, that's what I did. And if I tried to do something else, people are going, well, why are you trying to write? Or why are you trying to cook? Or why are you trying to do something else? Because they, you, you're kind of stuck in your own area, your own niche. Uh, but in the US, you know, I can do a podcast, I can write a book, I can do TV shows, I can cook for a living, I can speak for a living. And no one asks a question about it other than is it any good and so that kind of meritocracy uh, in america i think is very important and it's one of the reasons you know it's part of that american dream it's one of the the reasons that america does really well is because they let people go and experiment and I, you can fail i've failed at plenty in my life but you you're still given the chance to go and do something else again so you know i always tell the story of the man who invented seven up and the reason it's called seven up is the first six uh, tries at making it failed and the seventh time was his seventh up to make it and it was a big success and that's why he called it seven up and so i think that's a good way of looking at it in this country you can fall over but as long as you've got an idea and you're prepared to work hard you can bounce you back can you can achieve really great things. So that's one of the things I really love about this that you don't necessarily have in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I bet. I got you what you mean. So now I want to talk about a little bit about your nephew because he has autism and that uh, you would be on the show if you, if you had him, I guess is the way to put it, or wouldn't it be your nephew? So what is um, your relationship with your nephew and can you describe his personality? Well, I'm hesitant just because I want to respect the privacy of... Um, you know, other people. So I never really talk about people's private lives just because with whether they're uh, relatives or they're on TV or that's, that's for them. Um, So I'm, I'm cautious about doing that. Um, But, but I do have a really fun relationship. I like hanging out with him. I'm also very respectful when he wants time to himself, uh, which sometimes he does if, if we have a big event and sometimes that can be a little bit much for him, then he might want to disappear and just be on a room in, on his own or, and so there's that side of it, but I don't want to talk too much about that just because I think that that's, that's for him to talk about, not for me. Okay. I understand. But out of curiosity, has he changed you at all in any perspective? Like has he changed you in a way you've seen life? Has he changed the way that you've seen the world? I mean, has he changed you at all in a good way? I, I yeah, I think, um, that when you one of the things that you do find sometimes is there's a lot of repetition of a question or something like that and if i hadn't encountered that before what i do find is that that's something that i'm less yeah it's if you're if you're not used to it that can be very frustrating and now it's something that i i've become a lot more kind of accepting of i know there'll be a period where there's a lot of questions about stuff just because of who he is 
and now I'm so I think from that point of view I like that that I've probably become a lot more understanding and I think also I've read more about you know autism because of that so you know I think just having someone that you're related to who has autism just makes you more willing to go and find out if you're any if you're a good person anyway you try and read more about it I'm interested when I hear people who have autism talking about it uh, so from that point of view I think it's been very interesting ah good 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 I, I understand what you mean I'm I bet it's been a journey with him so that's a good it's been a good journey yeah, it's awesome. definitely a journey so you've on the judges compete episode of Cutter, you played for autism uh, the nerve and development are there any um, other charities that you play for? There are, uh, not necessarily ones that I, I there's a few different uh, nonprofits that I work with. Uh, and there's a one right now that's doing a really great job during the lockdown period called Convoy of Hope. Um, there they work all around the world and the United States. They do a lot of work. Uh, they feed 300,000 children around the world every day through their programs. Uh, and also they've uh, fed almost 20 million meals to Americans during the lockdown. So, you know, a lot of people aren't earning any money right now. A lot of people aren't, uh, don't have access to great food. Um, and so what they're, that's an organization that I like a great deal. They're called Convoy of Hope and they're feeding uh, a lot of people in the U.S. right now. So they're very important to me and I do a lot with them. And then there are other Nonprofits that are particularly looking after the restaurant industry. So obviously, a lot of the restaurants, some are beginning to open again now, but the restaurants have been closed for nearly four months, and so people, chefs aren't earning salaries, servers aren't earning salaries, hosts, and so a lot of those people who exist because of tips and gratuities as well as the basic salary are really struggling. So you know, I like to support. Guy Fieri has one called Restaurant USA, Restaurant Relief USA. Uh, there's one called the Golden Rule Charity. So these are people who uh, uh, need our help. So those are some of the others that I, I like to keep an eye out and help. There's so many. And I think the key is right now, if you're, if you're in the cinema business, go and help support cinemas where people aren't earning any money. Go and help. If you're in the theater, go and help them. Whatever the industry right now whatever the area there's going to be people in need so i think you know we're all struggling a bit with cash i guess because no one's earning much right now so i think if you can and you have any money and you have anything people should just go and support who they can but those are the ones that i keep a particular eye out for so now i'm curious how do you become an iron chef judge <laughs> uh that was a, a very interesting thing so not long after um, I got married, so 10 years ago now, I was asked to go and meet the producers of Iron Chef. Their offices are actually very close to me here. And they were actually looking, they were actually doing auditions for a judge for a show called The Next Iron Chef, where they chose a new Iron Chef, which was a big show, very big show. When it was on, it was the biggest show on the network. And they were looking for a third judge. And um, I went to meet them. And for whatever reason, they, they offered me that job. And then I ended up judging lots of Iron Chefs as well as Next Iron Chefs. So I did that for many years. Iron Chef is also on a break right now. Um, so I haven't done that for a while, but uh, I must have done 
with next iron chefs and iron chefs i must have done over 100 shows of that uh maybe less i don't know i haven't got the count in front of me but i did a lot of iron chefs and that was really fun because that's a different level so those chefs both the ones challenging and the ones you know the iron chefs themselves are some of the best chefs anywhere in the world so for them to cook and eat the food eat their food all day was was really fun and i always looked forward to that gotcha Hey, if you eat, that's a good job right there. I mean, <laughs> it can be uh, on sometimes if they've had a few, some of the food sometimes on cutthroat kitchen wasn't so much fun to eat, but, uh, but on iron chef, it was usually pretty special. Hey, I'll eat anything <laughs> except tomatoes. I can't eat tomatoes. Huh? <laughs> I can't I'm sorry, but I can't. Now you're also a writer's wife. So what do you write exactly? And who inspired you to become a writer? I do. I write features for magazines i write um my i've written three books uh and i've written my podcast which i write which is you know a lot of writing that the writing of a season of my podcast is probably about uh the length of a book so that's a lot of words um i mean i i always loved to write and i had a food blog many years ago and i got to know people like uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, other great writers. And, you know, I just wanted to, I just enjoyed doing it. And I was lucky that newspapers in the United Kingdom asked me if I would write some food things for them. And I did. And then I asked for, there was another website that I did a lot for. And, and so it's just become something I do. Right now, I'm not writing as many features or books just because I'm too busy doing other things. Right now, I'm really enjoying speaking events, cooking demos, food history talks, things like that. But that also involves writing, you know, because you have to write lectures, you have to write kind of recipes for all kinds of different things. I just, I love the process of writing. It's sometimes a little tough because sometimes you want to write and your head doesn't. So you end up not writing anything much as you'd like to. You get writer's block. Uh, but I actually... I actually do love the process. Gotcha. That makes sense. I, I like to write too, but then sometimes my just kaplupian won't let me write like you said. Yeah, it's uh, there's no kind of, uh, what's the word? There's no, pro sometimes you think it's going to be a simple process. And sometimes I sit down thinking I'm going to be, have a great day of writing and I end up writing about 50 words of rubbish. And other days I sit down and I think I'm going to have a really bad day and I end up writing 2000 words that I'm really pleased with. So you can't, uh, the key I think of learning and that I learned from other people, much better writers than I am, is not to beat yourself up. If you don't have a good day, it's fine. And I think that's true in life as well. You know, sometimes, particularly now in lockdown, it's fine not to have a good day. You know, some days I'm really busy. Some days you just go, actually, I'm having a really bad day. I'm going to sit and watch TV. Yeah, we've all had those days. Anyone has their days. Now, yeah. out of curiosity, what are your writing goals do you have in the future? You know, I... I set some goals, uh, so they're a little wider. So I go, yeah, I'd love to write. One of the things I've learned is that you, it, writing, having specific goals can be really useful, but it's also really tough because if you'd have told me 15 years ago that this is what I'd be doing for a living, I'd have laughed at you. I thought I was going to be a book publisher for the rest of my working life. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not that anymore. So what I think is more important is have, so I go, I want to, I, specific goals, I want to write. 
then I have some more, I, um, you know, but I don't look at it too specifically. Do I want to write another book? Perhaps. Uh, what do I want to write more podcasts? Certainly. Cause I love doing that. Do I want to write more features? Maybe if they're interesting, a lot of times right now, I get asked to write stuff that's not that exciting. So I, I don't do it. Uh, I don't want to write just for the sake of it. You know, do I really want to write about the top 10 restaurants in LA serving X? Not particularly. Um, but there are some really good, th interesting things to write about my travels. I mean, so what I want to do, I want to, I have a, ma a saying that I put everywhere. I, it's what I sign in my books or on my photographs, which says go everywhere eat everything and that's basically my my goals for life i want to travel more i want to eat great food i want to meet amazing people and then find opportunities to write about that so now you also done a lot of public i've heard so what type of public speaking the what type of public speaking have you done i've done all kinds of public speaking so uh, i've done history lectures where i talk to uh departments in universities. I did one fairly recently at University College in Irvine, where I talked about the history of fish and chips, which has actually got an amazing history. Or I've done, uh, I've done uh, lectures to, uh, or not lectures, I've done speeches to well-being organizations. Uh, there's a terrific organization called Peace Love, in, uh, which uses art as a way of uh, promoting mental mental health uh, kind of development and that's a really interesting organization so i've done that but then i do one of my favorites is to do cooking demos so i'll go up and i'll demonstrate two dishes one whatever and while i do that i talk about the food the history of the food i get and then uh, i do a lot of that in hotels and get to taste them and then i also do a lot for the nonprofits, where they'll ask me to go and cook for a smaller group, spend time with them there. So it's a really good, it's a really good uh, opportunity to connect with people. So I love that's one of my favorite things to do is public speaking. Ah, gotcha. Now, how do you engage a live audience? How do you get them intrigued into whatever topic you're talking about? That's a great question. Uh, well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So I'm, uh, I'm never sure that I'm going to be an expert on it. But I think you have to have a good, lively personality. You have a subject that's going to be interesting to them. So again, you need to read your audience, uh, know that it's going to be something that they're going to find fun. The audience. So sometimes I'll have someone come up, come up on stage and help me cook. Uh, so they're there. Uh, you know, if it's a if it's a business, I can have the head of the business come up and help me cook. Um, I think you have to, you know just try and be engaging. And I think a lot of that is down to experience. I don't have any uh, nerves. I don't get particularly nervous before I go on stage. I like talking to people. So I don't worry about it. And I think that helps. Have, have some bad jokes. Tell lots of bad dad jokes because people seem to like bad dad jokes. I like dad jokes. So <laughs> Yeah, they're great. And then, and I think then the other thing is to have I always like to have a session, a section in every uh, event where I have question and answers, king and ingredient, or the history of something, or my travels. And then once I do that, uh, then I, it's easier to engage them. Uh, but you have to work at it. You can't take it for granted because you know 
I've seen some people, and me included, where I've done events and it hasn't gone well. And it's because I've maybe too, been too complacent. Okay, yeah, I, I understand that completely. Now, what you're also a big celebrity, which is awesome. So how did you become the celebrity? Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to question that first bit. I'm, uh, I never say that I, I'm, celebrity is not a word I ever use. I'm just some bloke who's on TV who happens to have a fun life. Well, we'll have that argument another time. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's, here's, here's the thing is, I think it's just, yeah, I'm lucky enough to do a job where I happen to be on TV. And the, the key of that is to do that well, to be very appreciative uh, of the fact that I get to do that. And if I, if I do get to do that and get to be well-known, then at least I should, two things, be respectful of the people who do all the hard work, and we talked about that earlier, the crew, but also be aware that I can use this to do some good. So if I come and talk to you on your podcast and we can get more information about autism out to people, if we go and work for a nonprofit and I cook a meal, or if I go and speak at an event on behalf of an organization, so i think for want of a better word if you're being well known because you're on tv or films or whatever people are it's fun kitchen equipment to play with or all kinds of stuff that people might do which is lovely but at the same time it's a responsibility and one of the things i don't think is right is when you see some people who are very fortunate but kind of don't seem to uh, work very hard to support other people to be fair that's very few i think most people particularly in the food industry if you look at people on the food network everyone i know everyone has a non-profit or a, a cause that they want to promote everyone has one so that's really good so it's kind of it's it's just i, I mean I'm, I'm fortunate to do it and i'll do it as long as they want me to keep doing it and then when people don't i'll go and do something else Gotcha. Gotcha. We all, I feel like everyone with like the nonprofits is on a mission. If that makes any sense. Like I, this is a nonprofit podcast, I guess is the way to say it. And I'm on a mission. Yeah. I think you've got to have, you know, if we don't have causes in life, that, yeah, if we don't have things in life that mean something to us, then life is pretty empty. And you see it sometimes with young people in sports or young people in any business. They, they're suddenly in a situation where they're earning a huge amount of money, but they haven't developed a cause or a calling. Or a, and, and when they do, then it makes a big difference to their life because they realize, you know, apart from anything else, it makes you realize that there are lots of people out in this world. And, you know, we've traveled all over the world. Uh, seeing it who whose existence is a lot more challenging than ours whether they're you know people trying to feed their kids or st uh, stay healthy or any of those things and so if we don't use whatever little kind of fame or celebrity we have to a good cause then we're not we're probably not good people so yeah. at the very least we should try and do something decent yeah do something at least nice yeah so you're a big cooker i that's why I got into cooking, obviously. Now, what got you into cooking, obviously, and what do you like to cook? Uh, again, that's a great question. So my, like a lot of people, it was my family. My family always loved to cook. My family loved to talk about food and share it. So, you know, I have a WhatsApp group with my family, 
and every day it's pictures of food that we're eating or cooking. Uh, so even when I was a little kid, you know, when I was four or five years old, I was always watching people cook and always cooking and then always eating out at restaurants. Uh, obviously now during the lockdown, it's been really good. So I've, uh, from a, a learning how to cook point of view, because often I'm not at home so often and I don't get much chance to be in my own kitchen. So this now I've had great opportunities to be uh, cooking. So I've been cooking. What I like to do is to take dishes from countries that I've visited and try and replicate those at home. And I cook a lot of Indian food because of my father coming from India. Uh, that's a, a food that I love. But I also, you know, we've recently been in Italy or Greece, or we've been in Japan, we've been in the Philippines, we've been all over. And so I like to try and cook some of the food from those countries. We've been in the Middle East. We've been all, you know, I like to try and look at some of the amazing food. And again, I'm very fortunate in that I've been to these countries. So I get to experience it firsthand um, and to prepare some of that. So that's been what I've been trying to do on this. And also, like a lot of people, uh, I'm baking bread. And I'm not a good baker, but after lockdown, I'm a better baker. So I'm, I'm better than I used to be. Gotcha. What, what bread do you usually make? You like banana bread or <laughs> just solid bread, I guess? Oh, just, yeah. I, I don't make a lot of sweet sweeter breads, more buns and lo uh, loaves of bread and, you know, that kind of thing. Ah, nice. And, um, yeah, just, just simple stuff that we're going to enjoy. Bagels I like to make, you know, just things that we can actually eat and I, I'm not just, yeah, I, again, I don't want to waste food. We waste too much food in this country. And so I want to make food so uh, that, we're, uh, that we'll eat. So I don't want to just do it for the sake of it. And some people, I think, are practicing. And as long as it, all the food gets eaten, I don't mind. Yeah, my mom's like that. She does actually a whole unit on uh, food wasting. So you guys well, have that's, common. Yeah, well, we, we waste about a third of our food food in this country and when you think that you know people are going to starve tonight in the united states uh, for lack of food then that's really that's something sad. that i find really crazy yeah well it's sad that you know we're the rich country in the world and then for lots of reasons and that's not a political lots of young particularly young kids in this country won't eat properly tonight and that to me is just it's just wrong you and know. disgusting very and disgusting it, here yeah and again that's not even political that's just it's as you said it's just disgusting it is so i i'm amazed with cooking because i'm a terrible cook i just started so how do you overwhelm yourself in the kitchen to be honest with you because i'll overwhelm myself with a snap of my fingers the key the key with it is um there's a saying that i always have when talking to chefs is is to, about learning the basics first. And we all want to go and cook like we see an Iron Chef cook, or you know, people want to cook like Bobby Flay, but Bobby's been doing that for 30, 30 years, probably more. So, you know, he's got a lot of experience. So my thing is, we have a saying that it, there's a musical saying, they say, before you go and play jazz, you have to learn how to play the piano. Ah. So go and learn the basics, go and learn knife. So you learn how they work together. And the other thing, and I think this is something that's actually very relevant to people who are listening who might have autism, is to create a process. When I cook, say I'm cooking a dish that might take, uh, I don't know, say, say it takes an hour. I'm making up a number now. But the first half hour, 
will be process of preparing everything. The French have a word or a phrase that says mise en place. It means everything in its place. So if you have a dish that has onions and it has garlic and it has herbs and it has meat and it has prepare all of that, chop everything up first and lay it out, lay it out on your kitchen counter. And then when you come to cook, to assemble it, it's like putting it together. So it's almost like imagine if you have a Lego set, you'll put all the red pieces together, the blue pieces together, the yellow pieces. So when you need one of those, you go and reach for it. So learning the processes of cooking by doing that mise en place, I think is really important. Yeah, I'll have to remember that mise en place. Sounds like me on plastic, but whatever. Mise en place. Mise en place. I'll remember it, that. It basically means everything in its place. In its place. Go let, good. It's fun. That sounds like a good quote. Excellent. So now I'm going to ask you some personal questions to you just for fun. So what is your paradise meal since you're a cook and why is it your favorite? Sure. I think there are different ones. Um, but if I had to choose, you know, kind of meal, I think a lot of it would, I think it would be proper British fish and chips. And I think a lot of that is to do with memory. Uh, because when you eat a great meal, you're not just eating uh, the ingredients that are in front of you. A lot of it is going to r- bring back memories of great meals. So there are dishes now that I create that my mum used to cook and neither of my parents are with us anymore. Uh, but there are dishes I create that are close to what my mum used to cook. And when I smell them cooking or when I eat them, they bring back kind of memories. And so for me that uh, the fish and chips has that because I remember as a kid, we'd go to a fish and chip shop, big thing in England, and we'd get fish and chips and the smell of fish and chips and the vinegar that you would put on the chips and the 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 kind of surrounding of it so that would be my kind of great meal yeah that sounds like a good meal and i'm sorry about your loss with your parents thank you i mean it's you know the nature of getting older but uh i had wonderful wonderful memories with them so you know i'm very fortunate a lot of people don't always have both their parents or don't always have great relationships with their parents and i had you know terrific times with both of mine so i feel very fortunate I do too. I mean, they drive me crazy. I'll admit it. <laughs> oh yeah, but, they'll, they'll do that. But <laughs> they'll do but, that. But I've had some fantastic times with them. Good. So, now, what is your favorite movie or TV show, and why do you like it? Ooh, great! Again, great question. So my favorite movie is an old movie going back to the ooh, probably the forties. It's called A Matter of Life and Death, and it was a film with. Um, an actor called David Niven, who was one of my heroes, a great kind of English actor. And it's just a beautifully put together film. It's about someone during the Second World War who is killed and comes back to life and then by mistake. And then he has to go to heaven to kind of a court in heaven to argue his case to stay alive because he's fallen in love. And it's just a beautifully put, it's a beautifully made romantic movie and it's really, really nicely done. Um, so so that would be my favorite and television gosh uh i like i i think it's hard to think about individual movies uh individual television shows but i like i love police procedurals i love long like 10 episode whodunits where you kind of you don't know until the last minute who who makes stuff so who who's killed someone or who's done something i love i love crime shows 
those are probably my favorites. I don't, interestingly, I don't watch a lot of cooking shows because it's kind of, that's what I do for a living. So I don't necessarily want to sit and watch it when I'm at home. Although they're, some of them are really good. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, I just don't want to sit and watch other people cook when I'm at home because I do that for a living. Yeah, I, I, I see what, I see that. So now, what has been your favorite vacation that you've ever taken? And why do you enjoy that vacation very much? Well, yeah, well, we've, uh, you know, I've been to however many countries, probably 80 something. Um, and so uh, I've, I've had some amazing experiences. You know, I've walked on the Great Wall of China and I've been to see the Taj Mahal in India. And I've, uh, you know, my wife and I have uh, hiked around New Zealand and we've been to, you name it, we've, we've been, you know, through the Philippines, we've been all over. And so a lot of them uh, have been really exciting. Uh, I think there are certain areas that when you're standing looking at, and I mentioned them, the Great Wall of China, which is amazing, and you're seeing the Taj Mahal in India at sunrise. So those are very special ones. Um, but I love I loved just going to new countries and ex, ex, experiencing them. I think another one was going to the north of India and picking tea at one of the tea plantations. That was amazing as well. Uh, traveling through Africa. And I think one of the greatest for me was what's called the Trans-Siberian Express, which goes from the east of Russia all the way across to the west to St. Petersburg. It's like eight days on a train going through deserts and ice you know, areas that are covered in ice. And I mean, it's incredible. And that was one of my favorites as well. Uh, but if you ask me tomorrow, I'd probably give you different answers. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. Other than cooking, what are some of your personal interests and why do you enjoy those? I'm a great fan of watching uh, soccer. So I watch that a lot in the UK because uh, I was brought up watching that. Uh, my team is one of the lower division teams, so no one knows who they are. So it's not one of the big teams, but I still look for their scores every week and watch the games on YouTube when I can and so I love watching that and that's you know uh, so in terms of sport I'm very British still so I still watch soccer cricket and rugby I don't watch any American sports I don't watch basketball or baseball or American football I've never and not because they're bad I just don't know them and I've never really got into them yeah you're just uh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah they're terrific sports yeah, sorry I missed that I said you're following your ethnicity basically yeah very much I was brought up brought up watching these sports and they're still kind of what I grew up with. Um, I'm obsessive about history. Uh, I love reading uh, history books and that's why I do a food history podcast. I like to think about, so I read a lot of history. Um, I'm a, I love, I can't do a lot of it right now. I love walking, hiking, that kind of, when we get chance, I love to do that and go for long walks. Uh, and, and traveling, I think is my biggest passion. I love to travel. I, you know, I, if I had my kind of time, my, my wife and I would just be out on the road the whole time, just traveling around. Ah, gotcha. I would travel the whole world if I could. <laughs> around the whole globe. Well, there's a lot of it. There's, there's a lot of it to see. 195 countries or something. I've still got lots to go. Yeah, you have to be from your birth to death, basically. <laughs> <laughs> So now this Definitely. is the last question. Are there any good memories that you want to tell our, tell our viewers about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? Now, before you answer it, I want a good memory and a funny memory. Oh, let's have a thing. Those are, those are great questions. So my good memories are about great meals that I've shared. Um, and so 
I'll tell you a story about being in Senegal in Africa. And I met people while I was there. I was traveling, writing my first book. And one of them invited me to come and have dinner with his family. And I sat in the courtyard of their home and they shared a meal with me. And it was, they serve it on a big communal plate. And it's rice and fish and peppers and all kinds of, it was really delicious. But what I remember was them, uh, all of the hosts, the mother and the daughters, getting all of the best bits of fish, the best bits of food, and putting them on my side of the plate. So as the guest, I was the kind of honored guest and got all of the best food. And that kind of hospitality is one of my best memories. It's one of the best meals I've ever eaten, not just because it was delicious, which it was, but just because of the communal element. And I still think of that as one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. So that's a great memory. A funny memory. I'm trying to think now. Oh, gosh. Give me a well, I've had so many. I've had so many when I've been uh, traveling. Um, I remember being on the Trans-Siberian Express and being, uh, they had these rather, all the, all the, like, if you weren't from any of the countries, Russia, Mongolia, China, you had uh, these uh, women on there who were very kind of stern and strict and they were very kind of in charge of you. And one time I was out on the platform when the train stopped at a station and if they called you to get back on the train, the train was going to leave. And I remember one of these women just grabbing me by the collar because I was down on the platform and literally lifting me up with one arm and bringing me onto the train in front of everyone because I had the train. And she was like, yeah, this woman was strong. And she literally lifted me with one arm and threw me back on the train. And that was very embarrassing, but it was very funny later. At least you didn't, didn't slung you around. <laughs> Yeah, but at least, but she was doing it to be kind because she didn't want me to miss the train because there wasn't going to be another one for another week. Yeah, I don't and blame I'd be her. stuck in. Blame her. Yeah, so she was doing a good job, but it was a bit of a surprise to suddenly get lifted by one handed by a, uh, a Russian train guard. Yeah. <laughs> so now that, I think that's all. Is there anything you'd like to say to our viewers before we head out of here? No, just uh, if people want to go and find me on social media uh, you can find me at simon majumder on everything and also if people are interested in podcasts obviously i hope they are because they're listening to you go and check out eat my globe which is my own podcast which is fun and we talk about all kinds of things all kinds of food history and we interview uh you know people like elton brown so you'll hear more about him on there and just uh you know, and the other thing I always say at the end of all these now when I do them is just, you know, we're in tough times. So just be kind to everyone. Be nice. And let's uh, let's see if we can get through all of this together. All right. I think we can. So thanks again, Simon. I appreciate you doing this. And cheers. Cheers. Thanks for joining for this episode. Please tune in for another episode coming in very soon. I hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much.